Congress is currently considering the most radical piece of legislation in our nation's history. Conservatives say that the Equality Act would obliterate the distinction in our politics between men and women. Liberals are saying we're, it's crazy, we're overreacting, there's no way, it's just fear mongering. So Senator John Kennedy put the question to the head of the largest LGBT lobby in the country, the Human Rights Campaign, which is pushing this legislation. He wants to know, simple question, how many sexes are there? Mr. David, let me ask you a question. How, how, many, how many sexes do you think there are? How many sexes? Mm-hmm. How many well, there's gender- a difference between sex and gender identity, if that's what you're getting. No, at, I'm asking we- biological sexes. How many do you think there are? Well, I would defer to the medical p- practitioners, but I think there's been studies showing that if you're talking about sex, Sex is defined by many different characteristics and cooling chromosomes. Are there more than are there are there more than two? You could make that argument that they might be are more you than making two that argument? individual. But are well, you, making- you well, I, Senator, I can't ignore the fact that they're individuals who are intersex. And so, um, so I'm just trying be, to there, it's not I'm running out of time. Are there more than two sexes in your opinion? It's not limited to two. Okay. That's all I've got, Mr. Chairman. (laughs) That's all I've got. That's all we got. Because if we can't answer that question as a country, we can't answer anything. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday from Tim McCulty. This actually, usually I pick comments that just sort of amuse me. This one, though, I thought was pretty insightful. Tim referring to this, uh, this shooting in Tennessee where a, a woman, a black woman pulls a gun on a cop and then he shoots her and the mother of the woman blames the cop for letting her shoot him. Uh, Tim McCulty uh, writes, they're claiming that the officer put himself and the perp in a position where she would not only commit more crime, but do violence upon him, which makes everything that happened his fault. This really sounds like blaming a rape on what the female was wearing. Yeah, it's exactly analogous to that. Uh, Probably the most racist part of, of this racialist ideology here is that uh, the, the left seems only to ascribe agency to white men. According to the left's racial ideology, only white men are people, you know, with intellect and will who can reason and then act upon that will. Every other group of people on earth are passive objects that things merely happen to, but they can't do anything. So even when this woman in Tennessee shoots a cop, pulls a gun and shoots a cop, it can't be her fault because she is merely reacting to whatever stimuli come into, come into her mind. Uh, very vicious stuff, really dehumanizing stuff. But that, that is uh, what, what lies at the basis of a lot of that. You know, you, if you hear some uh, sort of crazy answer from the left on uh, sex, on race, on whatever, if you hear some crazy ideology and you say, there is no way that this is going to advance in our country. This is too far. Well, you can place your bets that it's certainly not going to be too far. And if you want to place bets, head on over to my bookie. That's right. My bookie. Absolutely terrific uh, site to go check out. March is here and madness has officially begun. It is time for you to shoot your shot and score big on the nonstop action with my bookie. 
Select the winners from 63 tournament games in the MyBookie Bracket Contest for a chance at $10,000 in cash prizes. It's only a dollar to enter. Doesn't matter whether you're filling out multiple brackets, betting the national championship winner, or simply looking for player and game props. MyBookie has you covered. College ball, NBA, and NHL, no matter the sport, no matter the minute, MyBookie puts the action in your hands with in-game live betting. With choice from thousands of lines and odds, you can turn any game day into payday. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. You know, among the sorts of recreations that I like to do responsibly, I always like making games a little bit interesting. And a my bookie, great way to do it. Sign up today at mybookie.ag and use promo code Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, to secure a deposit bonus up to $1,000. That is promo code Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, to claim your first deposit bonus. I want to get back to what Senator Kennedy said there. He, he asked the head of the HRC, one of the most dishonest lobbies in the country, an a- absolutely awful, awful lobby that uh, pushes cultural radicalism. I'm not sure they even believe this stuff anymore. I think they just had to keep raising money because they won the, the fight to redefine marriage. So they didn't know what to do. So then they took on the transgender thing. And who knows, if they figure that one out, they're going to take on some other some other issue. But Kennedy asks this guy, how many sexes are there? And the guy tries to do this deflection where he says, well, you know, there's actually a distinction between sex and gender, which is true only in as much as gender refers to grammar. (laughs) what, What the left does though, is they say gender, it's a term that refers to people's sexuality, but it's different than sex. And they can't really ever explain how it's different than sex. And they we point out that they're just using two different words to say two contradictory things about the same actual object. But the left says, no, they're totally different things. So Kennedy pushes the issue. The, The reason that that Kennedy clip matters is he's showing you that this whole idea that there's a difference between sex and gender is just BS, that the left doesn't even believe it themselves. Because he says, no, I didn't ask about gender. I'm asking about sex. How many sexes are there? Biological sexes. The guy can't answer. The guy can't answer because all this postmodern claptrap about, you know, the metaphysical gender and the physical sex and, well, there's a difference between biology. They don't even believe that. They just want to obliterate the sexual distinction in man because that distinction is fundamental to our nature. And if you can transform that, if you can redefine that, you can redefine anything. And then there is no, there is no limit to the possibilities of progress. Lots of confusion going on these days, not just from the head of the human rights campaign, not just from the left-wing lobbyists, also from our president, Joe Biden. Joe Biden said on the campaign trail that he was going to have a much more lenient immigration policy, creates a lot of incentives for more people to flood into the country, more people flood into the country. Now we have an unprecedented crisis on our Southern border. Joe Biden actually, believe it or not, was called out for this only very mildly on ABC. They said, you know, you, you told people to come here. So isn't this kind of your fault? He doesn't really remember. So there's some back of the the first TV put together, just a little back and forth. What he's saying now, what he said then. The idea that Joe Biden said, come, they're there seeking asylum. First time ever we've told people they can't come to America. That ends. The cage is closed. 
The idea that Joe Biden said, come. We immediately surged to the border. All those people are seeking asylum. They deserve to be heard. That's who we are. We're a nation that says, if you want to flee and you're fleeing oppression, you should come. The idea that Joe Biden said, come. And those who come seeking asylum, we should immediately have the capacity to absorb them, keep them safe until they can be heard. A, a 15. Do you have to say quite clearly, don't come? Yes. I can say quite clearly, don't come. First time ever we've told people they can't come to America. Don't leave your town or city or community. Now, maybe this is just because Joe Biden is losing it. That things he said just a few months ago. This will be the first time ever we say don't come. You have to come. Please, Surge, come. I never said Surge. I never said come. Maybe this is just because he's getting a little forgetful in his old age. But I don't think it's that. I don't think this is the sort of thing that you can chalk up to Biden's obvious cognitive decline. I think that Joe Biden would have done this sort of thing in his prime. Because what you have to remember about Joe Biden, it is the defining feature of his political career. Joe Biden is nothing. He's everything and nothing. He doesn't have views of his own, I don't think. I think he wakes up in the morning, licks his finger, puts his finger in the air and figures out which way the wind is blowing. And if the wind is blowing in the opposite direction than it was yesterday, he will contradict with a straight face. He will contradict everything that he said the day before. He lies effortlessly. I don't think this is because Joe Biden necessarily hates the truth. I think he is totally indifferent to the truth. I think he is a pure cynic who who has been lying from the very beginning of his prominent political career. It's why he had to drop out of the race in 1988, because these weren't just little white lies. This, this wasn't just exaggerating about crowd sizes for all the talk of Trump's lies. Re- really, it was just hyperbole in the way that New Yorkers talk. That's not what Joe Biden was doing. He was telling very specific, ornate lies about his academic record, about his political record. He was then plagiarizing speeches. He's told lies about very crucial aspects of his personal life. That's just what the guy does. So if the wind blows in the other direction tomorrow and they say, yeah, we, you know, public opinion shows people really want to surge at the border. He'll go on TV completely straight faced and he'll say, I've been telling people to come. I've never told them not to come. I've never told them to stay in their country. It's not who we are. Joe Biden is uh, catching a lot of flack for what's going on down there at the border. One issue is that while we heard all about the kids in cages under Trump, actually Joe Biden is putting more kids in worse cages, cages that he and Barack Obama actually built. It wasn't even Trump who built the cages. And there, there is this question of ripping children from their mothers, right? And Joe Biden says, we are not, not doing that sort of a thing. Listen to the way he muddles up the issue. What do you do with an unaccompanied child that comes to the border? Do you repeat what Trump did? Do you repeat what Trump did? Take them from their mothers, move them away, hold them in cells, et cetera? We're not doing that. What do you do to the unaccompanied children who come to the border? Do you rip them away from their mothers? Going to pause it there. Did you catch the problem? Catch the flaw in that argument? These are, there are two separate arguments here. There are the unaccompanied minors who are being pushed across the border. And then there are people who are showing up at the border with kids, but really no way of knowing whether, is it, they, are, are they their kids? Are these adults coyotes? Are these adults just random people who are put together by the smugglers? That's why there is a vetting process. It's why Biden's doing the vetting process. It's why Trump did it. And that's why Biden's not getting a ton of flack for doing it. That's why Trump got a ton of flack for doing it. But it's the same process. 
but you don't rip unaccompanied kids away from their mothers because they're not there with their mothers. What, what do you do in both of these situations? We heard from Jen Psaki yesterday who was asked by liberal reporters, Hey, how come you're doing all the stuff Trump did, but just much, much worse. And Jen Psaki gave the honest answer, which is there's not a lot of options. Uh, question about the situation on the border. It's now been three weeks since I think in this room you were first asked about uh, getting us some, some press access. Why mm-hmm. have we still not seen any images inside these facilities? We remain committed to doing that, and I think uh, the, these facilities are overseen. HHS, of course, overseens, uh, oversees the shelters. Uh, the uh, DHS oversees the Border Patrol facilities, and uh, we want to work with them to ensure we can do it, respecting the privacy uh, and uh, obviously the health protocols required by COVID. But even given COVID protocols and obviously privacy concerns, you know, even you all haven't released any images that you obviously could, could redact if you wanted to. Again, we, we remain committed to sharing with all of you uh, data on the number of kids crossing the border, the steps we're taking, the work we're doing to open up facilities, uh, our own bar we're setting for ourselves and improving the and expediting the timeline and uh, the uh, the treatment of, of these children. And we remain committed to transparency. I don't have an update for you on the timeline for access, but it's certainly something we support. You're obviously not committed to transparency because you're not letting the reporters go in and actually see the cages. So two days ago, we heard this on the show yesterday, Jen Psaki says, look, there's not a lot of options. Please please stop bugging me about this. Then yesterday, you get the reporters saying, we were told you're going to be transparent. Why are you not letting reporters in to see these facilities? Why are the Customs and Border Patrol officials telling us that they've been told that they're not allowed to say anything to the reporters. Why are you being so opaque about all this? And what does Jen Psaki say? She says with a perfectly straight face, well, you know, we're really committed to transparency and we're more than happy to give you talking points. We're more than happy to give you what we want you to report, but no, we're not going to let you into the facilities because the facilities are looking worse than they ever have before. You know, after I go out with the boys some nights, uh, I'll be looking worse than I ever have before the next day. One reason I love liquid IV. One serving of liquid IV provides the same hydration as drinking two to three bottles of water alone. What makes liquid IV so effective? Cellular transport technology, CTT. The optimal ratio of glucose, sodium, and potassium delivers water and nutrients into the bloodstream. It is the perfect balance to help you hydrate more quickly and effectively than water alone. You know, last night I went out, had a couple Coca-Colas with Drew Clavin. And, uh, you know, if you're feeling a little like you could be refreshed in the morning, liquid IV, a great way to go. Good people, I think, use it when they exercise. The rest of us, you know, after a night out, it's a, a nice thing to have. Grab your strawberry liquid IV or their other great flavors in bulk nationwide at Costco, or you can get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L at checkout. That's 25% off anything you order when you use promo code Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L at liquidiv.com. Get better hydration today at liquidiv.com, promo code Michael. You will thank me later. Joe Biden cannot articulate a political vision because Joe Biden follows the prevailing winds. This, This is part of why they're floundering here on the border issue. It's not even just the incompetence of implementing the policies. It's because Biden can't articulate the policies. When he's talking to a Democrat audience, he says, yeah, we want open borders. We don't, we want to let people come in, surge the border, please come, come, come. But when he's talking to more moderate audiences, he says, look, we, uh, we're sending a lot of people back. We're sending more people back than Trump did. 
and we believe in law and order and yada, yada, yada. So there's no, there's total conflict here. Trump, knock him if you will, say he didn't build enough of the wall, say he didn't deport enough foreign nationals, sure. But he did always articulate that vision. And people would come to him and say, there's a crisis at the border, far less of one than we see right now under Biden. What, what did Trump say? And what did Trump's advisors say? They said, look, we're a nation of laws and we need borders. Don't come here. We're going to throw you out. It's going to be very bad if you come here. Stop it. We don't want you to enter our country illegally. That is a clear vision. And it is why you did see, at least for certain periods of the Trump administration, that those immigration numbers tick down. Joe Biden, giving all these mixed messages, uh, creating a far greater problem. Because if you stand in the middle of the road, you are going to get hit by a truck. Now, some politicians can articulate a political vision. One good example of this, Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, who's done a very good job on COVID. He clearly, I think, has his sights set on the White House. So he keeps, I got to give the guy credit. He keeps making all the right moves. He's moved on just from the COVID stuff, which is what had really been putting him in the spotlight. Now he's moving on to a cultural issue, critical race theory, radical leftist anti-American indoctrination in our schools. Ron DeSantis says no more. Florida civics curriculum will incorporate foundational concepts with the best materials, and it will expressly exclude unsanctioned narratives like critical race theory and other unsubstantiated theories. Let me be clear, there's no room uh, in our classrooms for things like critical race theory, teaching kids to hate their country and to hate each other is not worth one red cent of taxpayer money. So we will invest in actual, solid, true curriculum, and we will be a leader in the development and implementation of a world-class civics education. I I love this, uh, this press conference. I love this announcement. I love the initiative. What he's saying here explicitly is not just, hey, we're going to make sure kids keep reading Shakespeare or, hey, you know, let's, we're going to let everybody do whatever they want to do and schools can pick whatever they want to do. He's going further than that. He's saying we will not permit this trash in our schools. It is being excluded. It should be cast into the outer darkness where there is wailing and gnashing of teeth. And that's the right answer. This is a point I make for many pages. (laughs) with lots of historical examples and lots of arguments for it in my upcoming book, Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds. These abstract ahistorical arguments that are merely formal about free speech versus censorship or something like that have very little to do with the actual cultural battles at hand, cancel culture, political correctness, this massive uh, indoctrination campaign in our schools. The real question is standards. What are we teaching? When we teach one thing, we're living in a finite world. It means we necessarily can't teach the other thing. If we're teaching the 1619 project for 10 weeks of our semester, then we are not teaching the 1776 commission. Okay. And so you got to make choices. Mitch Daniels, who is now the president of Purdue, who formerly the Indiana governor. And there was some talk that he would run for president in 2012. Mitch Daniels got, got in a lot of trouble for this. There was an email that came out from when he was governor that said, I don't want Howard Zinn, the leftist 
historical revisionist polemicist. I don't want Howard Zinn in our schools. I don't want that anti, execrable anti-historical trash, I believe was the phrase from the email. Get it out. Exclude it. Conservatives need to become much more comfortable, not just making sort of abstract formal arguments about how, you know, we've got to hear out everybody's ideas. And sure, we should have the 1619 project in schools, but it should also in the free marketplace of ideas have the counterpoint or whatever. No, <laughs> we, we need to recognize that education in particular is coercive and it is limited and we need to teach certain things. It has a purpose. And the purpose of the radicals and critical race theory in the 1619 project is to destroy our country. So we should have a civics education that builds up our country. And DeSantis is making that claim. Now, a lot of people are saying, oh my God, DeSantis, he's going to be the nominee in 2024. Hold up guys. <laughs> you know, it's, there's a long way between here and 2024. I love what he's doing. I think that's great stuff. Uh, we should be encouraging this from all of our politicians. There is a long road to go before 2024. Uh, politicians need to prove themselves, you know, especially if they haven't been in the national spotlight for a long time, but definitely really good stuff from uh, Governor DeSantis. Speaking of critical race theory, speaking of people who were clearly poorly educated, <laughs> Don Lemon, Don Lemon on CNN, uh, theologian, cardinal, Future Pope Don Lemon uh, was discussing religion recently, right? He was discussing the Vatican's decision to continue to hold the Christian view of marriage that they've held for 2,000 years. So Don Lemon was spouting off. He said, look, God would never judge anybody. Never mind that in the Nicene Creed, we acknowledge that uh, uh, Christ will come to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. No, forget about that. Forget all the references to judgment in the Bible. No, no judgment, no Vatican. They've got to get on board with the Don, Don Lemonite Christianity. Don Lemon is now making both a theological and an historical claim that Jesus is black. And we also have to start uh, being realistic about God and the Bible. And if you are a person of faith in this country, and, and you, we know America is built on faith and religious freedom, then we have to, I think, a good way of starting is to present the true identity of Jesus. And that is as a black or a brown person rather than someone who looks like a white hippie from uh, Sweden or Norway. And I think we should start with a true depiction of what Jesus looked like and put that in your home, either a black Jesus or a brown Jesus, um, because we knew Jesus looked more like a Muslim or someone who was dark rather than someone who was blonde, uh, a blonde looking carpenter. And then when your children ask you, who is this? This is Jesus. Jesus was Middle Eastern. Bethlehem was not in, in, in Sweden. And so Jesus does not look like the um, popular depiction that we have in our churches, uh, and in our homes and that we see all over the media. And I think that is a good place to start. Jesus is not a black guy. First of all, when you begin with Jesus was, as, as you're pontificating to Christians about their religion, you, you've made a crucial error because Christ was crucified and then he rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the father almighty. Jesus is a Jew. His mother was Mary. His father is God, the father, the first person of the blessed Trinity. And Christ is the second person of the blessed Trinity and the Holy Spirit, the bond of love between the father and the son is the third person of the blessed Trinity. So real is that love that it is, he is his own person. 
to, for Don Lemon to come out and say, look, we just have to deal with the historical facts. Okay. Jesus was black. That's historically ridiculous. It's just not true. Well, Jesus wasn't Swedish yet. Yeah, no one says he was Swedish. Do you, have you looked at any uh, Western art, any Western depictions of Christ? They vary some, I guess he's lighter skinned than others, but he looks like a Jew. I don't know. He doesn't, he doesn't look black. He doesn't look Swedish. He doesn't look Norwegian or whatever. He looks like a Jewish guy, which is what he is. There are also uh, some clues as to what Christ looked like in his bodily form uh, in, as he was incarnate on earth. And uh, we can see this in the Shroud of Turin. We can see this in other places. But the, the historical claim is silly and we can dismiss it. The, the worst part of it is that he's ignoring the central fact of Christ. The, the, the most important fact. He knows uh, just about as much about depictions of Jesus as he does about higher Christology. The error here is trying to center Christ's identity in race. There is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free, but all are one in Christ Jesus. Christ who comes as a Jew to this specific chosen people has, has his message spread by the apostles to all of the Gentiles, to all of the world, all coming into one in human, human dignity, human solidarity, salvation open to all mankind. And this schmuck, Don Lemon, focuses on kooky theories about the race of the redeemer of the world. Who could possibly care less about the race of the redeemer of the world? The fact is the redemption. Don Lemon, missing the point. A lot of people have missed the point that it's a big hassle to go into brick and mortar auto parts stores and have to, you know, talk to people and answer questions about car parts. You don't have to do that anymore. You can go to rockauto.com. Rockauto.com is so much easier than walking into a store and someone demanding all those quick answers to things about your car that you don't know about. Maybe you know about it. I don't know about it. They go in the back. They don't have the part. They order it online. They charge you twice as much. Do not do that. It's uh, really important, I think, right now to have all the parts you need for your car, especially uh, these days. We had some rough weather last night over here in Nashville. You don't want to get caught. You don't want to get stranded. So when you go get those auto parts, go to a family business, rockauto.com, reliably low prices. They don't change their prices with all sorts of gimmicks. You know, you just, you can always count on it. Same prices for pros as they have for do-it-yourselfers. Do not chuck money out the window and spend twice as much for the same parts. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Then tell them that I, car expert Michael Knowles, right, Knowles in their How Did You Hear About Us box, let them know that I sent you. rockauto.com. Head on over there right now. Also, make sure you listen to Ben's show today. Uh, ben will be discussing when the left does care about anti-Asian hate and when the left does not care about anti-Asian hate. Very specific circumstances here, so make sure you go check that out. You know, there's a buzz in the air over here at the Daily Wire studios. Candace Owens filmed the first episode of her new show yesterday. It is all anyone in the office can talk about this morning. You are going to love it. Candace premieres tomorrow. It will be unlike any other Daily Wire show you've seen before. If you would like a sneak peek of her new show, join Candace Owens and the rest of the Daily Wire gang tonight for a special edition of Backstage. Do not forget, Candace premieres tomorrow. It will be exclusive to Daily Wire members. So I don't want to spell this out 
too much here. If you're not a member, you don't get to watch it. <laughs> so head on over, become a member, go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use code Candace for 25% off. Dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use code Candace for 25% off. We'll be right back with a lot more. There are many worthy causes on earth. There's so much suffering, so much pain. We are called to charity. And so we take our finite resources and we give them to the people we feel are most in need. Like Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, for instance, right? This, uh, according to a, a GoFundMe. There is a, a GoFundMe set up to help Harry and Meghan pay off their $14 million mortgage in Montecito, California. That's the, that's the bad news for our culture. <laughs> the good news is the GoFundMe has folded in less than a week. I guess this was a Harry and Meghan super fan. I didn't know those existed, but there is one out there at least. The, the $14 million GoFundMe raised a total of uh, $110 which is about $110 too much in my mind, but uh, then it, it folded up. This actually ties in with this racialist ideology that you hear from people like Don Lemon, and you, really you hear it from everybody, critical race theory in the classroom and in the corporate boardrooms and everywhere else. The racialist ideology has so taken hold in this country that even Meghan Markle can claim to be a victim. Even a hot famous, rich princess can claim to be a victim if she is even one quarter black. My Sicilian mother was much darker than Meghan Markle. Doesn't matter. According to the racialist ideology du jour, Meghan Markle can claim to be a victim. And being a victim carries social currency. It doesn't carry real currency on GoFundMe apparently, but a lot of other places, it does. President Trump <laughs> was asked, uh, he was speaking to Maria Bartiromo, uh, and he was asked about his views on Meghan Markle and the Mexit and her prospects because Meghan is, it has been said and reported by sources close to her that Meghan is looking to run for president in 2024. President Trump gives his hot take. What was your take on Meghan Markle uh, now saying she, uh, meeting with Democrat operatives, she may want to run for president? Well, I hope that happens, because uh, if that happened, then I'd be, I think I'd have a, an even stronger feeling toward running. I'm not a fan of hers. Uh, I think that what she talks about the royal family and the queen, I happen to think I know the queen, as you know. I've met with the queen, and I think the queen yes. is a tremendous person, and I'm not a fan of Meghan. I'm not a fan of Megan. I also love Trump. They're like, you know, my friend, the queen. <laughs> yeah, my friend, the queen. She's really great. I love her. But yes, if, if Megan were to run, that would be all the more reason for President Trump to jump in as well. It hasn't been working. This, this kind of grievance politics has not been working for Harry and Megan. Why not? There are plenty of other rich, successful, famous people who play into this race hustling sort of fashionable ideology. And it does sometimes work for them. Why not Harry and Meghan? It, it might just be a bridge too far to have literal royalty claiming grievance. It might, it might just be a bridge too far. Forget Trump for a second. Even Michelle Obama 
who is no conservative, Michelle Obama, who has said that the first time in her adult life that she was proud of her country was when it elected her husband, Michelle Obama, who has embraced sort of some of the rhetoric of racial grievance. She's been, she's been somewhat curtailed in that, but she's, she's dipped her toe in those waters. Even she says, come on, Megan, give me a break. I wonder when you watched Meghan Markle speak out, what went through your mind? Public service, it's a bright, sharp, hot spotlight. And most people don't understand it, nor should they. The thing that I always keep in mind is that none of this is about us in public service. It's about the people that we serve. But what about when she talked about the fact that she experienced racism? I mean, I feel like that was heartbreaking to hear that she felt like she was in her own family. You know, her own family thought differently of her. Race isn't a new construct in this world for people of color. So it wasn't a complete surprise to hear her, her, her feelings and to have them articulated. I think the thing that I hope for and the thing I think about is that this first and foremost is a family and I pray for forgiveness and healing for them uh, so that they can use this as a teachable moment for us all. Pretty good take from Michelle Obama. I never thought I would say this on this show, but pretty good. It's not a perfect take. You can see what I mean when I say she dips her toes in those racial grievance waters where she says, do you think Meghan Markle had seriously suffered racism? She goes, well, racism, it's nothing new. It's like, yeah, but right, it's nothing new. But do you think Meghan Markle suffered from hatred? I don't think so. Charles walked her down the aisle to marry his son. I don't think so, right? They would have dealt with the marriage beforehand if it were, if it were some big issue over race or something. Uh, that, that's obviously not what happened. But broadly, she's saying, look, it's a family. Let's just like pray for them and not, you know, this is ridiculous. And then on the Megan question, she, it's really a brutal line. She says, this is not supposed to be about us. Now it's ironic coming from Michelle Obama because Barack Obama is probably the most narcissistic politician of our lifetimes. And I'm, I'm counting Donald Trump in that. Uh, a healthy ego is a, uh, a professional hazard of politics. It might, might even be a requirement if you're running for president. But Obama really took that to the next level where he said the, the earth would heal, the sea levels would cease to rise. We are the ones we've been waiting for. We're the hope, right? Uh, that sort of stuff was, was pretty silly. But at least, you know, hypocrisy is the tribute vice pays to virtue. At least Michelle Obama is saying, yeah, it's, not, it's really not supposed to be about us. And Megan needs to stop making this all about her. But this idea of uh, racial grievance is, is really taking hold. It's not just in the universities, not just in high schools, not just in politics. It's taking hold, maybe most especially in corporate America. Deloitte, major consulting firm. Deloitte, I mean, one of the biggest consulting firms in the world, they told their employees that unintentional microaggressions are considered a punishable offense. A punishable offense. Now, this was during a mandatory anti-racism training. Uh, The U.S. employees at Deloitte were introduced to the company's new anti-racist culture. I guess previously Deloitte had a racist culture, (laughs) but now the new one is the anti-racist culture. Uh, Employees were told that they are expected to help cultivate anti-racist culture when working with personnel and clients and promote equity. One example, how do you have an anti-racist culture? Well, one example is 
quote, asking your black male colleague to join the flag football or basketball team. If, if you, you're working with a, a black guy and then, you know, you, your friends at the company have a, a sports team. If you invite the black guy to participate with your white team, that's racist. <laughs> if you exclude the black guy from your, from your sports team, that's anti-racist. <laughs> mm, not, not sure I'm following the logic. Now, I suppose what they are getting at here is that black people tend to be better athletes in, in, in a great many sports than white people. Uh, but maybe that's even racist now to say. Is it racist if you're complimenting someone? If you say, like, for instance, Asians have higher test scores, they're probably better at school. It, I guess that's racist. Then that's not by my definition. That's a compliment. By my, I'd like to be told that Italians are better at eating pasta carbonara. So I don't know what we're exactly better at, but, uh, you know, I guess Italians are better at exploring. That's something, right? Christopher Columbus, Verrazzano, uh, Amerigo Vespucci, the map guy. That's pretty good. We, we run recklessly into danger and explore. I would like to be told that as a stereotype. But if you invite a black person onto your team, whether it's because you think he's a good athlete or whether it's because you're friends with him, no longer permitted. You can be fired for that at Deloitte. Employees are racially biased, according to Deloitte, if they are not in favor of affirmative action programs. And there we go. Now we're getting into the heart of it. These silly examples about the sports teams, they're just kind of to distract from what this is really about, which is prohibiting conservative, forget even conservative, just non-radical political points of view in the workplace. Plenty of black people oppose affirmative action. Clarence Thomas opposes affirmative action. He wrote about affirmative action and the, the pitfalls and the evils of affirmative action beautifully in his memoir, My Grandfather's Son. Plenty of people oppose these policies. But now if Clarence Thomas were to espouse a view on affirmative action, he would be called a racist, an anti-black racist. If Clarence Thomas were working at Deloitte, he could be fired for that. You're going to see this more and more. It's going to begin with affirmative action, but it's going to expand into other policies. Soon it's going to be that if you think that men shouldn't use the women's bathroom at the office, that is bigoted. It's, it's they'll, I guess it won't be racist. They'll call it some other ism and you could be fired for that. And what this is all about is enforcing a new set of standards on the culture. And you're going to have these squish, naive, maybe worse than naive, pseudo-conservatives in part, and they're going to say, well, you know, Deloitte's a private company, and so if they want to destroy our culture, they could totally do it. That's wonderful. That's what our founders would have wanted. And you're going to have actual conservatives saying, wait, what are you talking about? We, You, the same people who are now defending Deloitte or Amazon or any of these big giant corporations that are destroying our culture, you are the very people who said that we need to go and take back the universities and take back Hollywood and politics is downstream of culture. Yeah. So, okay, let's fight in the culture. Well, no, they're a private company. We've got to do whatever, whatever they want to do. That's totally fine. No. How about, no. How about we stop making excuses for why we can't push back against the left's wicked designs to upend our culture and destroy our country? And how about we assert a good positive political vision and then actually have the guts to defend it. Wouldn't that be nice? Why don't we do that? Either we will do that or 
we will cease to have anything to conserve. This is, by the way, this is, I, this is not even, a, not a, I, I have no shame in making this plug because I really want people to read this book because it makes this exact point. Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds, which is available for pre-order until Amazon figures out what it's about and then they're going to take it off the website. This is why the Candace Owens, Cardi B battle fascinates people, I think. I don't say this just because Candace is my friend and we've got this great new show with Candace and everyone should watch that. Candace puts these sorts of issues in a uniquely stark light, particularly on the race stuff, particularly on the sex stuff. Why? Because the country right now is obsessed with race and sex. And they say that all black people need to think a certain way. And if, if you don't vote for Joe Biden, you ain't black. And all women need to, to vote a certain way. And Candace, just by existing, contradicts those theories. But it's further than that. Candace also has guts and she's willing to say it and she's not going to back down and she's going to say whatever she wants to say and good luck if you try to shut her up. Candace and Cardi B, according to the left's shallow, material, sexual, racial view of politics, there's no difference between Candace and Cardi B, right? According to the left, you know, black people, they're all the same and women, they're all the same. And so there's no difference. But there's quite a difference, isn't there? <laughs> these, these two women could not possibly be more different from one another. Which way will we go? Not just which way will black people go, which way will women go, which way will our country go? Because these two people who look very similar, have very similar physical attributes, think, desire, value, pursue, very different things. Our views, our identity, our politics is not defined exclusively or primarily by what we look like. There is more to it than that. When Don Lemon focuses on Christ's skin color, not only is it stupid, not only is, is it ignorant, but it's totally missing the point. Which way will we go? The Candace Cardi feud is great because you see, oh, there really are options. We really can pick a path. Do you want to go down the WAP path or do you want to go down the freedom, American tradition, preserve our way of life path? Which one? You, you got to make the choice. In our culture, racism is the unique sin. It's the worst thing you can call somebody right now is to call somebody racist. Sure, it, that's, it's very bad. It's an offense against human dignity. We all acknowledge that. There are other sins. And because the left has so succeeded at eroding our, our perception of the traditional objective moral order, we, we can't make sense of any evil in the world other than through this lens of white supremacy or patriarchy, racism broadly. But there are other sins. Tragic shooting happened a couple of days ago at an Atlanta area massage parlor. Uh, this, this guy shows up, the white guy, shows up and kills eight people in a massage parlor Tuesday night. Uh, he's 21 years old. He's confessed to the crimes. I think six of the uh, people were these Asian masseuses. Uh, the, the attacks began around 5 p.m. 
at the Young's Asian Massage Parlor in a strip mall in a rural area near Ackworth, about 30 miles north of Atlanta. Two people died at the scene. Three were transported to a hospital where two of them also died. I I think more deaths came in even after that, though I'll, I'll have to check. You get the point. Very, very terrible thing. We are now being told that this is because of white supremacy, because there's anti-Asian hate crime, and this is part of white supremacy. If you look at the statistics, not even just from this year, but for many, many years and decades even, of the demographics that commit crimes against Asian people, it ain't white supremacy. Let's put it that way. I'm not even particularly interested. Ben will talk more about anti-Asian hate and that sort of thing on his show today. But the, the idea that there is an epidemic of white people running around killing Asian people because of their skin is not supported by the evidence, not by a long shot. But this is what everyone jumped to. They said this because it confirms this fictional narrative that the, the cultures put forth, that this guy was motivated by racial hatred. And the cops who are giving the, they're investigating this, giving, uh, giving a press briefing on it. They're saying, you know, it, it doesn't seem like race is the issue here. It seems like there's another sin at play. We did interview him last night. He is currently in our facility at the Cherokee County Adult Detention Center. Uh, we were able to interview him uh, with the Atlanta Police Department and the FBI. Um, he made indica- uh, ind- indicators that um, uh, he has uh, some, some issues, uh, potentially uh, sexual addiction, and um, uh, may have frequented some of these places in the past. And, um, and, but as the chief indicated, it's still early on. We still have a lot of uh, uh, things to process. And um, Was this racially motivated? Um, as the chief indicated, uh, it's still early, but uh, the indicators right now are, uh, uh, it, it may not be. Uh, it may be targets of opportunity. Uh, again, we are, we believe that he frequented these places in the past and, um, and uh, may have been lashing out. Uh, and part of that is, is in your media packet as well. But the working theory is a sexual addiction issue AM, rather than a, a, a racial profile. Uh, uh, it, during our interviews, uh, we asked that specific question and, uh, and that did not appear to be uh, the motive. Did not appear to be the motive. Now this, this cop is in real hot water publicly because he was giving an explanation of what happened. He said, it was it race. Was it race? And he said, no, I think it was that, that he's got these addiction issues and obviously these mental issues. And he had a particularly bad day and that set him off and he went off and committed this crime. And what trended on Twitter, they said, he had a bad day. He had a bad day. This is covering up for white supremacy. And they just went back to the same the same narrative. So what, what are they, what do they want the cop to do? They want, do they want the cop to be some emotional guy? This evil, terrible monster, we're going to kill him. We're going to, no, that would be wrong for him to do that. It's up to the prosecutor to do that. But for the cops who are investigating this and gathering the facts, they've got to be neutral. And of course, if the situation were reversed in, in any of the particulars, you would hear all sorts of excuses. Yes, no, uh, you know, we, we covered that story yesterday in the Tennessean about a woman who pulled a gun on a cop and shot him. And the article was very sympathetic to her and more or less blamed the cop for allowing her to shoot him, right? All sorts of excuses. But I'm not interested in excuses for any of these. I'm not interested in Jacob Blake's excuses. I'm not interested in this kid's excuses. I'm not interested in any, any of those sorts of things. I am, however, interested in the motivations because the motivations will tell us quite a bit about our culture, about the crime, 
and about perhaps how to prevent the crime in the future. This massage parlor was, I think, pretty clearly not just a massage parlor. There were three of these Asian massage parlors on the same block, just about. They're all right in the same neighborhood. Something tells me there was a little bit more than massages going on here. This is a problem that goes on throughout the United States and everyone knows that it's happening. And this guy apparently was frequenting these houses of ill repute and had this sexual addiction and this impelled him to this horrible crime. If you blame this on racism, which as the cop says, it does not appear to be, you're not going to figure anything out. You're not going to do any, any good to help prevent these sorts of things in the future. You're not going to deal with the root problem. You're just going to propel a leftist fantasy uh, that, that is really divorced from reality. But what if there are more sins than sins of racial hatred? What if racial hatred isn't even like one of the most prominent sins in the country? Do we think that really there's this sort of ubiquitous racial hatred? Do we think that the Ku Klux Klan is really prominent in the country? No. But licentiousness sure is. <laughs> That's not an excuse for someone to commit a crime, but it is an explanation, perhaps. It is a problem, perhaps. It is something that we might want to deal with while we're dealing with racial problems, while we're dealing with drug problems, right? The, the opioid epidemic. That's an addiction issue, and it leads to certain crimes, and you've got to punish the crimes, but you also want to deal with the addiction issue. Maybe these, this sexual insanity that's taken over our country, where we now have the mainstreaming of drag queen story hour, uh, ad- adult men, transvestites twerking for toddlers, where you have 11 year old drag kids having dollar bills thrown at him at bars because he's dancing for grown men. Maybe that's a problem too. Maybe our antipathy toward our own country that's spreading through critical race theory, to use one example, but through other, other means, Maybe that's a problem too. Maybe division and and distrust of our countrymen and the suppression of perfectly mainstream and conservative political views, like we're seeing at Deloitte, maybe that's a problem too. Maybe we, we can't see what's going right on under our noses because we've been so blinded by ideology. Maybe we can't even say how many biological sexes there are, <laughs> like John Kennedy showed us while he was grilling that lobbyist. If you can't answer those simple questions, if, you, if you're unwilling to take a look at even the most basic facts in front of you, how are you supposed to fix any problems? I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Clavin Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky, editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico, audio mixer, Mike Coromina, hair and makeup by Nika Geneva, and production coordinator, McKenna Waters. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on the Ben Shapiro Show, the left decries anti-Asian hate, but only when they believe the culprit is whiteness, and the left's racist version of equity infuses America's government and boardrooms. That's today on the Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen. 